you're listening to sermon audio from Redeemer Church, where we are disciples of Jesus in life together, making disciples. Check out our other media, or to find out more information about our church, visit RedeemerSGF.com. This morning, we are going to be in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 12 through 17. And this morning is a little bit of a heavy morning. There's been a lot of things happening in the news, and and let me just kind of give some um, understanding up front here. Uh, you'll notice here I have this table and just the Bible in front of me, right? And some of you might think, okay, well, what does that matter? Usually I have sermon notes in front of me. Today I have a very basic outline written on a marker board behind the camera. And the reason for that is that I have burned through pages and pages writing this sermon thinking through what the Lord is teaching us and trying to understand how we bring to bear what is going on uh, currently in our society and our culture and how this scripture speaks to it. And part of the difficulty of being a pastor, and for those of you who are not pastors, which is most of you, um, the art of preaching isn't that you just craft together a really cool speech with a great intro, a nice illustration, and a solid conclusion— No, the art of preaching is that you are preaching to the stories and the lives of your people. You are exhorting them with God's word. You are speaking God's word into their lives. For the last two to three months, we've almost had no contact, no interaction. And myself and the other pastors are trying to figure out, okay, what do our people need? And what are they understanding? What are their fears? What are their hurts? Uh, What are they believing about God? What are they praying? What are they knowing? And we get some of that, but for the most part, it's, it's kind of like we're preaching blind. And, and so I'm just asking God to just empower me by his spirit to just bring to you this word this morning and to hope to God that the application and the, and the direction that I take you this morning is exactly what the spirit is wanting me to do and is exactly what he is wanting you to hear. This message is going to be uh, fairly raw, a little bit heavy at times, but I hope extremely hopeful and encouraging. Several weeks ago, of the many things that have been happening the last couple months, a, a friend of ours, a pastor in, um, out of St. Louis, Darren Patrick, passed away due to self-inflicted gunshot wounds. He's been a part of the the cohort that I've been a part of for the last year and a half. So I've been able to go with him and his wife, and we've been going to the Soul Care Institute, and we've been working through uh, matters of the soul and woundings of the soul and healings of the soul. And a couple weeks ago, Pastor Nathan quoted Darren Patrick in one of his sermons, and Darren Patrick had a quote about sin and wounds, making a distinction that we repent of sins and we heal from wounds. We don't repent of wounds and heal from sin, if you understand that saying. And so that's what I want to bring to you this morning, a healing of the wounded soul. A healing of the wounded soul is what I'm going to entitle this. If you think of the last several months, we have had 
really a, a storm of things. It's like we've experienced a tornado, a hurricane, and a, a blizzard all at the same time, right? We've had COVID-19. We've had uh, fears of go- government overreach. We're having race issues. We're having death. We're having murder all happening together. And so we're just kind of scrambling around and we're trying to figure out what's going on. Well, I want to let you know, I, I, when I'm looking at society, when I'm looking at our people and I'm seeing what's going on, I'm seeing, yes, a lot of reactions, but also looking into the story of who we are as people, I'm also seeing just reactions to deep woundings of our soul, even in our society. There's been a lot of pain, a lot of infliction over many years. And honestly, I think our nation and our churches, our people have a lot of open wounds and not a whole lot of healing. When COVID came in, you could see the people who became extremely fearful of their lives. And you saw people who were not fearful. I mean, you have to ask yourself, why, why are we different in that way? Is that because one person is more theologically sound than the other? I think there's a lot of experiences and understanding about life and and things that happen to us that cause us to either fear death and run away from it or to be okay or even numb towards it. You look at something like government overreach. People don't just in a vacuum become very excited about government and want government to do everything or completely frustrated with government and want them to stay out of our business, there's a story, there's a narrative that goes into our mindset into thinking why we do or we don't appreciate the government. And you see that even in the case of race. There has been, the black community is screaming loud right now, asking for justice, asking for white brothers and sisters to hear them out, to hear their pain. There has been a lot of wounding, a lot of, uh, a lot of pain that have happened for years and years that have come with no healing. And so when traumatic events like Armad being shot in Georgia and like George being uh, choked to death in Minneapolis, when those things happen, it's not a matter of facts versus not facts, what we're seeing here and what I'm interpreting is there are an insane amount of wounds and and pain that has been inflicted that these events really just kind of bubble up to the surface again and re-traumatize a community to say, this hurts. And so we are watching our country fall apart. In fact, I'm getting online and I'm watching even our own church at times, it seems like, to fall apart. We are throwing accusations towards one another. We are judging one another. We are speaking down to one another. We are speaking past one another. We're not listening to one another. And I don't care if you're black and I don't care if you're white or brown or yellow or what your experiences are. We are looking at each other as less than image bearers. In church, I want to say this. If we are going to find any sort of healing in our society in any way, shape, or form, it has got to start within the church. Jesus Warned, saying, hey, 
Don't look at the speck in your brother's eye until you see the log in your own face. Church, we need to see the log in our own face. We think we're going to go and change the world and make it better, but we can't even handle business among a couple hundred of us. And so in some sense of right now, I'm just kind of calling us to refocus and maybe some of us need to repent of some things. Consider then things like the Me Too movement that happened not too long ago. When that came about, we began to see the the trauma that a lot of women have experienced in our society has surfaced. And when it surfaced, we began to see more clearly and hear more uh, clearly the things that women were experiencing and understanding in society. As a church, we began to feel and understand that we were lacking in some ways in regards to hearing our sisters in Christ out. And so I bring this up because this is an example of another situation happening in society where I think we need to listen and understand and get into the deeper woundedness that is going on so that we can provide proper healing. If you notice in our church now, we are very intentional in making sure that all of our community group leaders are recognized as, as the husband and the wife. That it's not just the husband, but it's both of them. That we are raising up leaders in the church that are men and women. That we are calling the women in our church our sisters. That we want to hear what they have to say. That we want them to pray over us. That we want them to read scripture over us. That is a dynamic that has changed because we have listened to the wounding of a soul and we have been able to respond. And so I want us with that principle in mind to move forward. And I want us to be warned here very clearly. Paul tells us in Ephesians that we are not at war with flesh and blood. Meaning, black people, you are not at war with white people. White people, you are not at war with black people. Men, you are not at war with women. Women, you are not at war with men. You understand what I'm saying here. The war is done with the principalities of this world, with Satan, his demons. He's whispering into our ears, telling us lies, and we are buying into them. He is whispering into the ears of society and the world, telling them lies, and they are buying into it. And so, therefore... When things like Me Too come out, or COVID, or government overreach, or race issues come out, the society and the world offers for us a diagnosis, then a prescription to the matters. And with a worldly diagnosis and a worldly prescription comes a worldly healing. And so what I want us to do is, I want us to back off from our worldly language. I want us to be careful not to put labels onto people. When you're looking at me right now, depending on who's watching this, I am a white privileged pastor. That is a worldly diagnosis. And there is a worldly prescription that comes with that, which would result in a worldly healing. But I'm going to tell you this, that is not who I am. I know who I am in Christ. And I'm going to say the same for you. We must shape our diagnosis, our language, our healing 
on the very word of God. I'm not saying the world doesn't have some sense of truth or understanding to things, but if they have the full understanding, the full truth, and they they have the corner, the market cornered in terms and definitions and healing, then we begin to listen less to what God is saying, and we become like Adam and Eve, pay attention to the serpent and ignore God. We are not at war with one another. The enemy is after us, and he would love for us to be completely divided, to be for our church to implode, for riots to break out, for more deaths to happen. But I stand against that. And so, I preached to you this morning a healing of the wounded soul. Let me read verses 12. Through 17. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it. With tears. The first thing we need to do in the healing of a wounded soul is we need to, verses 12 and 13, lift one another up. Lift one another up. This is that first imperative there. Therefore, lift up. So what do we have here? Well, let's kind of recap what's going on in the first part of chapter 12. We remember that he points the the Hebrew audience, the Hebrew Christians, back to the perfecter and the founder of their salvation, who is Jesus Christ. He, He reminds them of that because he also understands that they are going through really, really hard times. We know through the book of Acts and just the first century Christianity that there was a lot of persecution. There was a lot of divisiveness. Whenever uh, the Jews were converted, um, it was not easy. Persecution was so harsh that Jews fled from Jerusalem and ran all the way to Antioch. These believers are most likely being persecuted because now they've abandoned their own race, Jews. They've abandoned their own heritage. They've abandoned their own religion. And now they are following Christ. And they feel like, in some sense, that maybe God is punishing them. But as we learned last week from Mark, that this is not punishment. The author used a very specific word, discipline. Discipline results in conviction, which results in encouragement. Punishment results in condemnation, which results in ongoing guilt and shame. Jesus bore our punishment on the cross. And because he took the penalty for our sin, therefore, we are being shaped and molded into the image of Christ, which which means there comes with that some discipline, some correction. 
but it's not to beat anyone down. And so the author is aware of his audience. He's aware that they are just worn out, that there's injuries within their own souls. And so he says, then, therefore, lift up. Lift up. And what does he say here? He says, lift up drooping hands and let your knees be strengthened, make straight paths so that what is lame would find healing. Right? This is, this is almost athletic language here. We, we see this, um, these words cited from the book of Isaiah as well. Isaiah, in context, he was speaking to the people of Israel who had gone into captivity to the Babylonians. They were slaves. They were held down. They were initially punished for their sins, but God spared them. So they were being disciplined for their sins, if you will. And so they began to doubt and wonder if God was going to come through. And so in a similar sense, these Christians are going, how much more of this do we have to endure, right? And so the, the same is coming to them. Remember, Isaiah told Israel, remember, God is coming. The author of Hebrews is saying, God has come, and he's coming back for you. Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. And so be strengthened by Christ. Be strengthened by the reality that he is the founder and the perfecter of your souls. Your strength is not found in your experiences. Your strength is not found in of yourself. You can't just pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and get yourself together. That's not what he's saying. Be strengthened in Christ alone and then be straightened by his ways. You know, when... When you're an athlete and you play and you get injured, sometimes if you get injured during a game, you just kind of have to play through the game. But then after the game is over, that next week or two, you spend most of your time icing the wound, maybe icing your ankle, doing rehab on it. You don't go back into practice and go full speed in practice. You take time to really heal your ankle. And so you don't go back on crooked paths. You go on straightened paths so you don't potentially re-injure yourself. And so that's what he is saying to the believers. Don't, don't continue to walk around with your head down. As an athlete, if you, if you have your head down, your whole team begins to have their head down. And when they go out playing with their head down, that's when they are prone to injury. He's saying, lift up, believer. Lift up, be strengthened. Take the straight paths so that you might find healing. And where would they find healing? In his words. Just like Isaiah to the, to the Israelites, God said he was coming and he is. That's how they find their strength. And this is how the New Testament church, the, the Hebrew Christians would find their strength. Jesus has come. The word made flesh and he has provided for you a perfect salvation and he is coming back. He's not overlooking your affliction. He's not overlooking your injuries. He's not overlooking the woundedness of your soul. So church, there are wounds in our souls. He's not talking about sin here. The church hasn't sinned in any way. 
And I don't think Redeemer, as far as I can see, has really sinned in any way. What I'm seeing is that we are reacting to wounds in an unhealthy way. Our society is reacting to some deep wounds. People are hurting. They're still in pain. They've been ongoing a crooked path and not allowing time for their wounds to heal. It's like the scar just keeps getting reopened and infected and we have to try to clean it out. And instead of resting and healing for a time, we just kind of go back out and try to do things in our own strength, in our own way. And so church, there are people who are deeply hurt and wounding. And I would even say right now, the black community is probably the loudest community that is screaming, we are hurt. What is your first response? And I'm talking to both the black and the white community right now. What is your first response to this wounding? Is it to tear down? Is it to beat down? Or is it to engage and approach one another like the author is to his brothers and sisters and say, lift up, lift up. The game's not over because of what has happened, because of the wounding, because of the trauma, because of your experiences. That is not the end. You have to understand, Satan doesn't win. Sin cannot out-sin God's grace. The cross is victorious. So you have every reason to lift up, believer. What is your first response? Is it to be lifted up? Is it to accuse Or is it to be defensive? And how might then do you need to consider your first step to lift up? It's really hard when there's a lot of painful, hurtful things going on in the world and being said for us to just really white knuckle things and become real defensive and real accusatory. But maybe we need to slow down real quick Take a deep breath. Understand that you and I are not the enemies. And approach one another. And take the first step to just try and lift up. So I want to encourage you today, not tomorrow, but today, to take an initial step towards lifting up. And maybe you've refused to even want to do that. You need to repent of that. And maybe you've been more cowardly in approaching that method to lift up. And I want to encourage you to go and be bold and to humbly lift one another up. And so when we lift one another up, then we have an opportunity to put our Christian life and healing to action. And we do this through intense pursuit of one another. So we, have, we are to lift one another up, verses 12 and 13. And verse 14, we are to intensely pursue one another. 14. Strive. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You see this? He's, he's saying lift up, be strengthened, straighten up. Be healed. And then when that happens, strive. 
Now, it doesn't mean you be completely healed, but at the same time, right, you have to be encouraged in Christ, strengthened up in Christ, heading towards Christ, healing in Christ, and as you do, strive. And strive for two things, peace and holiness. The word strive in in Greek means an intense pursuit of something. And so what the author is saying, he's not saying, hey, just, you know, when you think about it, consider peace with everybody and maybe holiness, you know, if you get the time. He's not even saying when you feel better, when your circumstances change, when you're not being persecuted anymore, then I want you to consider peace. This is in the moment. This is in real time, in real action, real life, that you are to intensely, not slowly or carefully, but intensely, to where somebody's like, that guy really wants to get to know me. He keeps asking him if I'm okay, and he really wants to be my friend. He really wants to pray for me. He really wants me to know Jesus. That's the kind of attitude we're talking about here. There's that relentless pursuit. I'm not going to let you off the hook. I'm not going to let you just fall through the cracks on this. If you haven't shown up to community group, I'm going to call you and I'm going to ask you why. If you start to shut down and not open up, I'm going to be like, why are you doing that? That is the pursuit we're talking about. And for this peace, what is this peace? This peace is what we recognize in the Old Testament as shalom peace. It's this harmonious peace. It's this unified peace. Peace. In fact, this is the sort of harmony and unity that our society is longing for, though they don't actually know what it is they're longing for. They're longing for a society where we're all unified, where we're all one, where there is no one uh, being oppressed in any situation. But understand, our world is fallen and broken, and when fallen and broken people lead a country, no matter what race they are, everything in that country will continue to be fallen and broken. But Christ brings for us a real kingdom, a real nation, a real society, a real government that is perfectly harmonious and loving. And that is the peace. And we have to understand that this is what the author is saying. Look, there must be peace among you. You understand racism wasn't invented in America. It precedes that. You have to understand these are Jews. And there's a few things that have happened here. Some of these Jews may have experienced their brother in the faith, the Apostle Paul, before he was a Christian, was persecuting Christians, Jews who converted to Christianity. He was beating them up. He was ordering them to be killed. That may be some of their family members. But because of the gospel of Jesus, who brings peace to us and brings us to peace with the Father, they are then responsible by faith in Jesus to pursue peace with even someone like Paul, who was formerly an enemy. And you read the book of Acts. By the time Acts chapter 2 looks beautiful, it's a beautiful picture of harmony. The church is together, having everything in common. But what we often overlook is that it is a church full of Jews, of one race, of one nation. 
And of course they can get along. They all have everything in common. They're all the same people. And then Acts chapter 10 comes and the Gentiles are converted. And that is when stuff hits the fan. That's when the prejudices and the racism starts to merge and bubble up in the church because the Jews don't know what to do. They don't necessarily want the Gentiles included in the body. And the Gentiles are pretty skittish about coming in and hanging out with the Jews who despise them. And so the author is saying, you, are, you have been brought to peace with God through the blood of Jesus, and therefore you have a responsibility to be at peace with one another, and it is a fight. You have to intensely pursue it. If you passively pursue it, you will completely miss it. And you must intensely pursue holiness. Holiness. This is found only in Jesus. Nobody on the planet from Adam all the way to the last man who will be standing on the earth. Nobody in their own is holy. Only God is holy. And so what the author is not saying, he's not saying go become holy so that you can have eternal life with Jesus. No, what he's saying is your salvation, your holiness is already secured in Christ Jesus. Now go and live it out. Go and live that out for the holiness. This holiness without which no one would see the Lord. That means if you don't have the righteousness of Jesus Christ roving over you in every way, you will not see God. And so what he's saying is strive. Pursue that holiness with everything you have. Don't settle for who you are now. Pursue Christ. Pursue being more and more like Jesus. Imitate him in every possible way. And so this actually fits the two greatest commandments. Love God. Love neighbor. Love God in your continued pursuit of holiness. Love neighbor in pursuing them with peace. This fits perfectly in what is going on right now in our society. We have a responsibility. It doesn't matter the color of your skin or your experiences. We have a responsibility to pursue one another with peace and to pursue the holiness that is robed over us because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I will say this. For some of you who are wounded, you need time of healing. Perhaps the black community, you need time of healing. So like a good teammate will say, hey, we'll take the weight on. We'll go play the game in your stead. Go heal up so that you can come back in the game because we need you. Pursue peace. Jesus came, it says in the book of Ephesians, to tear down the dividing wall of hostility that was that was built up between Jew and Gentile, black and white. He came tearing it down so that there is no longer two races, black and white, or Jew and Gentile, slave, free, man, woman, but there is one new race found in Christ Jesus. This was a difficulty even in the first century. 
because you had Jew and Gentile, and the believers, even for a time, were trying to figure out how do we explain to people that we are now a new race. And so for a time, they considered themselves the third race, meaning that we're not Jew and Gentile. We're just now in Christ together. And so church, you and I are a one race. Doesn't matter if you're black, white, yellow, brown, whatever you are, we are one in Christ. And so we, instead of building up and erecting a wall of dividing hostility, we are to continue to tear it down and pursue peace with one another. And so how might, in these last one or two weeks, or even the last couple months, have your words and your actions been a divisive tool? And if they have been divisive, I want to call you to repentance. Meaning you need to think about exactly what you have said and done that would cause one of your own brothers and sisters to either stumble or feel less than, or if you know that it's tearing them down, you need to go to them and confess that and repent. But we need to come together and consider our words. The, the world is sitting there calling, calling out and, and saying, you know, I'm, I'm white privileged and uh, saying whiteness and, and all these terms. And, and, and I get it, right? I understand what's, what's going on. But what's happening is those terms are being thrown out loosely and without, without care and without definition. And it's creating hostility. It's creating hostility, and we don't look like a unified church. If we want our society to understand what true unity is, then we have to show them in the church, because that's the only place on the planet that true unity occurs. You see, the world talks about a unity that is built upon toleration. We tolerate one another, right? But you and I know that toleration is only surface level. True reconciliation, true unity is a heart level matter. Meaning, I don't want to tolerate you. I want to love you, know you, be reconciled to you, and know that you are family and you see me as family. And so this means this, and this is going to become a little more tough to hear. When we look at devastating scenes like George Floyd in Minneapolis, we cry out for justice. It's a hard thing to see. And we, we are quick to say that that man is an image bearer of God, right? But how many of us have looked at that police officer and said that he too is an image bearer of God? Many of us have jumped to the conclusion right away that there's only one image bearer in that scene and the other one is just a piece of garbage, a piece of trash that nobody wants to be around. But the gospel says that all of us have sinned, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God and the only way for us to come back to him is through the blood of Jesus Christ. The playing field has been leveled. Both George and that police officer are image bearers, and both of them need the saving grace of God. We cannot be divisive. 
This is where the line in the sand will come. This is where we will distinguish ourselves from the church or from the world because the world will say, I want nothing to do with that police officer. I want nothing to do with those men in Georgia who killed Armand. But the church says if they come to faith in Jesus Christ, assuming they're not believers, if they come to faith in Jesus Christ, we will call them our own and we will love them as our own. And that's a hard pill to swallow. And some of you may accuse me saying, well, you can just say that because you're white privileged. I'm saying that because the Bible is true, not because I'm true or privileged. And to our white community, we need, we need to see that the black community is hurting. I know there are facts out there. And I have talked to several black people in our community who I don't even know if they're believers. I just found them on the street as we were crossing paths and just started a conversation with them. And even having conversation with others that I know. We all agree that these cases aren't explicitly a racist case. Like, we don't know that the police officer, because he hates black people, did this. And we don't know because the men in Georgia hate black people, so they did that. But what we do know is that when things like that happen, it just compounds. It just resurfaces the trauma of the black community. I mean, think about somebody who's been violated sexually or has been physically abused or even women who've been abused by men. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you've never done anything wrong. If, if a woman who's been abused by men comes into a room of men, her heightened anxiety, her anxiety may go up or certain things may trigger that, that deep trauma that has happened in her soul or her body. And so in the same way, and I'm addressing this to the white community, I don't think the first step we have to do is just go to fact checking. And yes, facts matter. But I think what we need to see is that there's a wounding that is taking, that is occurring here, and that all these traumatic events are just resurfacing a trauma that has been there for years and years. So we need to pursue in a peaceful, understanding way, saying, brother, lift up. I want to hear what you have to say. You need to be healed. Let me take one for the team for you. Let me carry the weight for you for a while so that you can be healed. Let's pursue the peace of Christ together. Let's pursue righteousness in Christ together. I want to hear what's going on in your soul. And I want to, I want to prescribe to it a gospel salve so that there is healing. And so we all have a part to play, a responsibility in this story. And so we are to lift one another up. We are to intensely pursue one another. And when we do that, we then live gospel-healed lives with one another. Verses 15 through 17. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. We are to lift one another up. 
be strengthened, be straightened, be healed, intensely pursue peace, intensely pursue holiness, so that everyone gets a taste of God's grace. Right? When we're wounded and we're suffering, if we don't find healing in the gospel, we then begin to act out of irrationality. Right? We begin to become embittered towards one another. We begin to become angry towards one another. You know, a year and a half ago, I went on an urgent sabbatical and I, and I shared with the church that I had some deep wounds in my soul and a lot of them I didn't even know I had. I didn't even know where they came from. And often I would be triggered when I got around certain people and I would become angry, extremely angry, and I would become very anxious to the point where a year and a half ago, I, I began to realize I'm really depressed. And it began to like overtake my mind to where there were really, really dark moments in my life. It, when, when I had no healing, there was times where I thought, I think life would just be better without me. I think Redeemer Church would be better without me. It would be nice, you know, maybe if I just died. This is what happens when you have a wounded soul that never finds proper healing. And so when we have that proper healing, then we begin to extend the grace of God to one another. And I want to have you rest assured, I have been able to identify the wounds of my own soul and have begin to able, been able to see how Christ heals me in specific ways. I don't feel low. I don't feel depressed. I don't feel like throwing in the towel and giving up. I feel more energized. I feel at peace. I don't feel anxious about this sermon. I feel deeply about this sermon, but I, I trust that the Spirit is leading. And so we do this so that everyone obtains the grace of God. So there's a responsibility among the Hebrew Christians you all are partakers in God's grace because of what Christ has done. And no matter who you are, you all have a responsibility to make sure that everybody in the room is obtaining God's grace. And you do this so that, and here's the negatives, there is no root of bitterness, no root of bitterness that comes forth looking in the wrong section here, says that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And that's exactly what happens if wounds are left unchecked. That's what happens um, when we just snap at people and never go to repentance or never find out what the deeper rooted problem is. That, and what he's saying is in the deep recesses of your soul, Instead of your heart really being taken over by Christ, it then begins to be taken over by brokenness, by sin, by anger, by malice, by gossip. And you begin to become bitter towards those you are to deem family. And you are to do this so that there is also no one who is sexually immoral. You know, it's, a, it's kind of a unique thing that we see this here. It almost seems like it doesn't play into the mix. But one thing I've noticed is that 
when we become wounded or we begin to even feel sorry for ourselves or we begin to self-prescribe, right? We're hurting, we're struggling, we're like, man, I just need some relief. I need an out. A tendency is to go to something like idolatry or even sexual immorality. Because here you can find satisfaction. Here with sexual immorality, you can find just temporary relief. You can just let the world go for a moment, but really all you're doing is defiling who you are as an image bearer of God. And you are defiling the holiness uh, by which Christ bought you with his own blood. You are perverting what God has deemed good. And so what God is saying, there is a moral way to have healing, not an immoral way. Christ is the healing for your soul. He is not a temporary satisfaction, but an eternal satisfaction, an eternal joy, an eternal cure. And so he says, so that there's no root of bitterness, so that there is no sexual immorality, or and so that there is no unholiness like Esau. He points up the example of Esau. Abraham had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Esau was the firstborn, but then he had a chip on his shoulder. And, and the story goes in Genesis basically that he didn't want his birthright. He didn't want all the blessings and the promises that come with being the firstborn. And one day he was just really hungry. And so he decided, you know what? I'll give up my birthright if Jacob will give me some soup. And so for a measly bowl of soup, Esau gave up his birthright. And this is a big deal because what he's saying is he's despising who he is. He's despising his family. He's, in, he's despising in his inheritance. He's even despising the promises of God that came to Abraham, where God said to Abraham that he will bless his offspring. And from his offspring will come, ultimately, the Messiah. Esau is essentially saying, I despise all of that. And then the story continues on after that, where Jacob basically pulls a fast one on Esau and receives the blessing from their father. And Esau does not receive the blessing. Esau, so here's the thing, Esau wanted to despise his birthright, despise uh, his inheritance, despise the promises of God, but at the same time, he felt entitled to the blessings. So he felt like, perhaps, that his dad owed him something, even though he despised his father's name. <coughs> and so this is an unholy act. And so the, the author is telling the believers, look, this is what happens if you don't lift your heads, if you don't get healing, if you're not strengthened in Christ, if you're not pursuing peace with everyone, if you're not pursuing the holiness of Jesus Christ, then you can guarantee grace is not being obtained by everyone. And you can guarantee you will become bitter. You will become immoral if it's not sexually in some other way and you will slowly become unholy and you will feel entitled and you will, you will shake your fist at God and at the same time you will think that God owes you something. That is the root of bitterness. That is what happens 
when wounds never heal. They start out as wounds. I mean, I mean understand, you know, we're generally victims to sin, right? Adam sinned, and sin spread throughout all humanity, and, and we have been sinned again by our par- against by our parents, by people in society, by governing authorities, by whoever it is. So in one sense, we've been victims, but then we have taken the woundings that have come towards us, and we have made it our own. And when it's left unchecked and it's not measured to the gospel, we then sin out against others. Church, we must intensely pursue these things. Otherwise, a root of bitterness will rise. We need to make sure that everybody in Redeemer Church is extended the grace of God. I don't care if you're black, white, brown, yellow, man, woman, child, whatever. If you are in Christ, you have a responsibility by Scripture to see to it that there is peace, that there's holiness, and that the grace of God is being extended. So that means you might have to just sit down, close your mouth, and listen. We need to provide space within our community groups on Sunday morning at as we're going through life and the natural rhythms of life, to open our ears to one another, to allow people to be raw, to be real. Look, knock off unspoken prayer requests. We don't want it. We want to know exactly what it is you need prayer for. We want to know the exact trouble that you're dealing with. We want to know your prejudices. We want to know your hatred. If you hate me as a white pastor, okay, come tell me, because I want the gospel to heal that wound. We must make sure that grace is extended. Healing is not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen overnight. Healing is going to take the rest of your life. I'm 37 years old, and it was a year and a half ago that I find that all of the things that I've been bottling up and trying to hold down in my 20s and early 30s finally surfaced to the top. I I didn't have the strength anymore. And so I had allowed three decades of unhealed wounds to kind of determine and dictate my life and my energy and how I uh, process things and interpret things. And now it's going to take the next 30 years to deconstruct that and to be changed and transformed by the image of Christ. We're in a society where we want everything now. We want converts now. We want baptisms now. We want our church growing now. We want money now. We want a building now. We want everything now. But the gospel says, this is a long race. The author doesn't use the word endurance in chapter 12 because he thinks that this is a sprint. This is a long-paced run. And we have to pace ourselves well. And so I don't think, I don't think the black community is going to find healing in the next few weeks or next few years. I think it's going to take the rest of their lives. And it's going to take the rest of our lives to help find that healing. And look, this walk with Christ is a lifetime walk. So just because we take this first step and we start opening up and dealing with things doesn't mean it won't resurface again. 
By walking in this way, by lifting one another up, by intensely pursuing one another, we then are prepared and ready for when new wounds or, or new things come up, tensions that we have to deal with. We're not caught off guard and we're not completely thrown aside. We're ready and willing to take them head on. And so by pursuing Jesus, we stay the course and we ultimately find healing. And here's the warning. And I'm speaking to white, black, everybody. If you refuse, if you become like Esau, if you refuse, you will become bitter. You'll become angry. You'll, you'll always be a victim. And you will begin to deny Jesus. You'll begin to deny his blessings. You will feel entitled to the blessings of God, though you despise him at the same time. And ultimately, there will never be healing. This is why I say, and I stand confidently on this, the cure and the problem to racism is found only in the gospel. And it is modeled first in the church. I do not want to hit the streets and pursue racial reconciliation if our own church family is not properly grounded and practicing these things. And I'm not saying we are not. But if we continue to listen to the world and be persuaded by the world, it's going to lead us down a road of not being prepared. I have two scars on my wrist. You can probably see this one. It's a real big one. This first one was in seventh grade football. This one was in college football. I spent my whole life playing football. I, I figured I was on a trajectory to make it to the NFL. I, I practiced hard to make it to the NFL as a long snapper. My college coach thought I had what it took to go to the next level as an NFL long snapper. Uh, my wife and I, Chanel, we were actually looking into the league minimum amounts and the benefits that come for spouses if I made it into the NFL what, uh, what she could do as far as pursuing her master's degree and everything. I mean, this was a real conversation. But you have to understand, when I came to faith, football was my only thing. It was truly an idol in my life. It was the only thing that I could, when I, when I had problems in life, I ran to football. When I was angry, I ran to football. When I was emotional and hurting, I ran to football because that was the only thing. And Football, honestly, was the one thing that I saw that really brought my whole family together more than anything. This is what I felt like we were really centered on. And so when I got to college, I wanted out. I was following Jesus at this point, and I realized football has a hold on me in so many ways. And so I prayed and I asked God, I said, I can't quit. I'm too proud to quit. Can you end my football career? A week later, underneath a 400-pound redshirt freshman by the name of Bubba, true story, he fell on my wrist, snapped my wrist, and I rolled around laughing maniacally. I looked crazy. My wrist was swelling up, and I was laughing because I knew this was an answer to prayer because I have never broken anything in football, and this was a first major injury, and so I quit. Years later, the wound from my, the, the, uh, the screw in my wrist began to heal, and often I, I forget that it's even there. And so my wrist is healed, but something else is healed also 
in my soul. And it is that I no longer find my identity. I no longer find my healing. I no longer find my satisfaction in football. I am at peace in my soul because I am now out of that environment. And so, look, the scar remains. And in fact, sometimes when I try to do normal things with my wrist, it can't bend. It can barely bend. It is terrible pain. And I am reminded again of what happened. And so I I know the same for you. You have wounds. Some of you have scars. And a certain event or doing something in a certain way can kind of remind you of the trauma that caused that scar to be there. I get it. But I think the key for all of us is that we continue to find healing in the only place that healing can occur. And that is through the gospel of Jesus. And so my final plea for you this morning is for you, Redeemer, to turn to Jesus, the healer of your souls. Lift up your brothers. Pursue your brothers. And live the gospel life with your brothers that provides true healing.